Good morning, church, and good morning to those watching online. Uh, my name is Daniel, and it is an honor and a privilege to be able to once again be sharing God's Word with all of us this morning. And today, uh, we remember uh, quite an important uh, event in all of history, not only just church history. And the moment we are remembering is Pentecost, the moment where the Holy Spirit was sent forth by God uh, to the people recorded in the book of Acts. But you see, Pentecost is not just about remembering that the apostles or the disciples or the people recorded in the book of Acts who received the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost also means that all of us who have faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation have already the Holy Spirit in us. So that is the truth. If you are a Christian sitting here today, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. In other words, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as we read in our gospel reading just now, Jesus promises, he says, if anyone loves me, in John 14, 23, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And look at this. And we will come to him and make our home with him. That the Father, the Son, through the Holy Spirit has indwelt in our hearts. And the Apostle Paul also later affirms this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, when he asks, Do you not know, Christian, that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So that's the reality. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. But do you know what it means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So that, is, that will be the focus of our Pentecost message this morning. And we will ask the question, what does it mean for the Christian to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? And we will find our answer in this really glorious and wonderful passage in Romans chapter 8 that we read just now. And we're going to do that verse by verse. We're going to walk through it together. And I want everyone here to just be really engaging with the text. So feel free to write notes, feel free to look at the screen to follow along with the passage in Romans 8. All right? And before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that for those whom you chose, for those whom you saved, that you gave your Holy Spirit. Father, help us as we think through your words written in this glorious passage in Romans chapter 8, that we'll see that this glorious truth of being of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is so amazing that we'll just be filled with so much joy being reminded and knowing that you are our Father and we are your children. So enable us, Lord, to understand. Enable me, Lord, to preach your word rightly. And we pray and ask all this in your Son's most precious name. Amen. So let's start with a bit of context before Romans 8. That's Romans 1 to Romans 7. So just before Romans 8, in Romans 7, verse 24 to 25, the Apostle Paul said this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is essentially what Paul was explaining in Romans 1 to Romans 7. And Paul was explaining the gospel. He was saying that all of us are sinful and therefore rightfully deserving of God's wrath. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So it is in this context, it's in the context of Paul explaining how hopeless we are and how salvation is only through Christ that Paul says these words in Romans 8 verse 1. 
And he says this, Therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we who are rightfully deserving of God's punishment because of what Christ has done, there is no more condemnation, there is no more punishment for our sinfulness. And we can know for certain that there is no condemnation because the work of the Spirit that has set us free. So if you look at Romans 8 too, it follows up by saying, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That actually if you are a believer sitting here, it's actually first a work of the Holy Spirit that has so changed your heart that the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, through the work of Jesus Christ, through applying what He has done into our hearts, that is actually God Himself who has set us free from the law of sin and death. It is the Spirit who did it. Now, how are believers set free? Paul continues that in Romans 8.3. It says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So Jesus, in his incarnation, he became sin. Jesus became sin who knew no sin. So it's not that Jesus became a sinner himself. No, that would not be right. But that Jesus experienced the pain, the suffering and the weariness that a sinful man like us has caused to this world. And instead of us, you and I, being the recipient of God's condemnation and wrath, Jesus instead was condemned instead of us. And that's what verse 3 means. So that what? Why did Jesus do that? So that in verse 4, as it says, that the requirement of the law is fulfilled by Jesus. You see, when we break the law, we ought to be punished. So we as lawbreakers ought to be punished, but rather Christ was punished instead of us. And it's in this explanation of the gospel, this is why the Apostle Paul can so confidently say that there is now no condemnation because the price is paid. Jesus has paid it all. Now, did what was shared and what I said and what the scripture says resonate with your heart deeply? Is that a reality for you this morning that you go, yes, preacher, that is me. I realize I am a wretched man or a wretched woman that only Christ can save me. That's me. Well, the Apostle Paul continues at the end of verse 4 that all of these things are applied to a group of people. That it says at the end of verse 4, all those things are for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, friends, the first thing that what it means to be indwelt by the Spirit, that the, it means that the blessings of the gospel and the person and the work of Jesus Christ applies to those who are indwelt by the Spirit. Which means, verse 1, there is no condemnation applies to you. You are free from the law of sin and death applies to you. Jesus came in the flesh to be condemned for our sins applies to you. The requirement that we should pay, that instead Jesus paid for us, applies to you. Everything from verse 1 to verse 4 applies to those who are indwelt by the Spirit, to those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now the question is, how do I know if I'm indwelt by the Spirit? 
verse 5 onwards in this rest of the passage actually gives us the answer of how do I know if I'm indwelt by the Spirit. Now before we get into that, just a caveat, what we're about to read may sound like things that we have to do in order to receive the Holy Spirit. But no, that is not what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. But rather, verse 5 onwards is describing people who have the characteristics or the traits of a person already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So that is what the second thing of what it means to be indwelt by the Spirit. It means you live according to the Spirit. Take a look at me at verse 5 on the screen. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, on the flip side, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see, essentially, setting our minds on the things of the Spirit means living under the authority and government of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth, John 16, 3. The Holy Spirit is God. He was present in creation and He was present when Christ was validated and vindicated at His baptism. And the very Bibles that we have are inspired, the words that were written are inspired, that the Holy Spirit inspired the biblical authors to write those words, 2 Timothy 3.16. Which means that living under the authority of the Holy Spirit is living under the authority of the Bible, of the truth of our Holy Scriptures. And on the flip side, setting our minds on things of the flesh is setting our minds there are things that are opposed to the Spirit. So let me ask everyone and even myself a question this morning. If we claim to be Christian, if you say, yes, I have the Holy Spirit, then ask yourselves, are you setting your minds on the things of the flesh or on the things of the Spirit? Are you looking to invest in God's kingdom? Are you evangelizing? Are you looking to proclaim His name wide or to all people? Are you committing to know the scriptures? Are you committing to building up the body of Christ here in St. Mary's? Well, if you are, praise God, you are someone who has the character who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But if you, when you hear those questions I ask, and you say, I actually don't do those things, but yet you outwardly call yourself a Christian, I'm sorry, you are not a Christian. You are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You do not belong to God. Because Paul continues to explain this in the rest of the passage. In verse 6, he says, Paul tells us that the things of the flesh are death. Now this death means spiritual death, means separation and alienation from God now and forevermore in hell. Whereas the things, Paul says, of the Spirit are life and peace, which means life of peace, knowing that God, instead of Him being our enemy, He is now our Heavenly Father, both now and forevermore in heaven. And Paul continues to explain what does it mean to set our minds on the things of the flesh. Right? Verse 7, it says that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8 tells us that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now notice the word cannot in both of these verses. You see, the Bible makes a very clear distinction between those who set their minds on the things of the flesh and those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
You see, one does not have the ability to please God, but one has. One does not want to submit to God's law. One willingly submits. One is hostile to God. One is pleasing to God. And the main difference between the two is that one is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, set free from the law of sin and death. One has not. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 tells us more about this. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And check this out. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Which means this, listeners, unless the Holy Spirit has so worked in your hearts to awaken you to spiritual things, you will always not be sensitive. You will always be dead to the things of God. You cannot say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. You see, unless the Holy Spirit has made you alive in Christ, you will always be dead in your sin. You will always be deserving of God's rightful judgment and wrath. So that is why Paul can so confidently say in verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's because if salvation was something you earned or something that you worked for, there is no security. There is no assurance. There may still be condemnation because if we look at our lives, we ain't perfect. But if salvation was a work of the Spirit that changed our hearts so that we can see the things of God, we have all the assurance in the world to stand before God one day because God is the one who saves, not us. Think through that implication for yourself. Paul continues to describe those who are being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, he says, You, Christian, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You see here, the Spirit of Christ and Spirit of God are the same Spirit, one Holy Spirit. It's not three different spirits or something like that. That the, as we remember, remember in our new our gospel reading that the Father and the Son has came to make our home in us through the Holy Spirit. So how do you know you belong to Christ if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit? And verse 10 continues, it says, if Christ is in you, which means if the Spirit is in you, Jesus Christ is in you. And it says, although your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, this verse means that although our body is dead, means that our physical body, although it's decaying day by day by the effects of, by the effects of sins, of sin rather, and one day that we will die, yet our spirit is alive because of the righteousness of God that is given to those who have faith in Him. And because of what Christ has done, those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as we look at what this next verse is telling us, we have so much joy, so much hope as we look to the future, as we, looked, as we think about our day when we die. See, verse 11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Which means, as Jesus was raised from the dead, so will we. 
Because the same Spirit who raised Him, our Lord, from the dead will raise us from the dead one day. So that why? So that we will reign and live with God forevermore, with Him forever. That we will be reunited with all the saints, with all the people of God, with Abraham, with Noah, with all of them one day. United with God forevermore. Now, isn't that such good news? Isn't that good news that our life on earth is not until we die and that's it? We don't get annihilated after we die, but we live forevermore. Well, if that is good news for you, then actually everything that happens right now on earth matters for eternity. As you see, a lot of people in this world like the idea of heaven. If, the, if their heaven was their version of heaven. But once you present a biblical or true idea of what the God has told us about heaven through the Bible, then people will go like, uh, I don't really want that anymore for myself. It's not, heaven is not so attractive anymore. But for the Christian, for those indwelt by the Spirit, actually everything that happens right now is actually a rehearsal. It's like a practice for the grand play that will be enjoyed for God's people forever. So every time we gather in church, it's like a practice for the eternal gathering that will happen forevermore. Which means in verse 12 and verse 13, it's exactly that, that what Paul is telling us to do right now matters forevermore in eternity. So if you think about it, if you enjoy sin right now in this earth, what makes you think that you will enjoy heaven? where there is no sin anymore, where there is no selfish desires anymore. What makes, we, what makes us think that if we are adapters to the flesh and we live according to the flesh right now, what makes us think that we will enjoy heaven where there is nothing of the flesh, where it's just full of the Spirit and the goodness of God? So yes, what you do now matters for eternity. So the third thing of what does it mean to be in, or fourth thing of what does it mean to be indwelt by the Spirit, it means that you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. Putting to death literally says what it means. It means killing. It means killing your sin by the power of the Spirit. It means examining your hearts, intentionally thinking, Lord, how have I fallen short of your glory? And that and in while knowing that killing those sins, removing those sins from your heart. Let me ask you, if you have a last problem, if you're indwelt by the Spirit, you'll be killing those sin imperfectly, albeit, but you will be mortifying or putting to death the deeds of the flesh. If you have a problem of pride, are you aware of that? Are you destroying that pride issue that you have in your heart by remembering that actually Jesus was humble, he wasn't prideful? That Jesus came in lowly flesh to die for you. If you have a greed problem, are you destroying that sin by remembering that Christ was the most generous person ever? That he offered himself on the cross for your sin? Are you killing your sin? Are we putting to death the deeds of the flesh? Now some of us, as we listen to what I said just now, are going like, yeah, I call myself a Christian. I think I have the Holy Spirit, but I failed almost every day. I fail so much. My sin is ever before God. 
I tried killing my sin, but it seems like it's never enough. I feel like God will never be proud of me or my sin is ever before him. Oh, like the Apostle Paul, we will all say, oh, wretched man or woman that I am. Well, may the rest of these verses in verse 14 to 17, as we end our sermon, give you so much assurance this morning. Verse 14, it says, If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God. Let me assure you one thing, that if you are sensitive to your sin, if you realize your sin is disgusting before a holy God, friends, you have the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, you will not know God. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you will not know that your sinfulness is against a holy God. But thanks be to God that the Spirit has so worked in your hearts that you realize, oh no, I have sinned against God. I need Jesus. Therefore, you don't need to fear anymore. You have the Holy Spirit. You are a son and daughter of God. Verse 15 continues to tell us that you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, which means you do not have to fear God anymore in a wrathful sense or condemnation sense. You don't have to fear to keep the law perfectly. You did not fear God's punishment anymore. But because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there is an identity change. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a slave to Christ. You are no longer enemies of God. but Rather, you are a dearly beloved adopted son and daughter of the Most High God. By Him, by the power of the Spirit, whom we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And this is not just a feel-good thing that you call God, hey, Father, I love you. No, but it's truth that the Spirit in verse 16 bears witness with our spirit and tells us and confirms this truth to us. Because it's easy on a Sunday when we sing our hymns and when we see Christians that we can call God our Father. But it's in those days of down valley of death moments is in those days where we realize the yuckiness of our sin, that we feel like we are far away from God. It is in those times that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. And it's telling us, hey, you, listen, remember what Christ has done for you. You are a son and daughter of God. That's what the Spirit does for us. Because of that, we are so joyful so blessed that we are to receive great inheritance from God, which is God Himself. We will receive all of Him and His fullness. That you are heirs of God, verse 17 tells us, and you are co-heirs with Christ. So it is free and glorious as that, that friends, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit means that there is so much security, so much love, and so much blessedness found in being filled with the Holy Spirit. While, yet while it is so free and so assuring, this passage today has reminded us that being indwelt by the Spirit means we are different. It means we are not like the world. Being indwelt by the Spirit means you are marked by the characteristics of one. And in this last section of verse 17, being children of God, being indwelt by the Spirit, being changed by the work of the Spirit means that we will suffer. The end of verse 17 says, provided that we suffer like His Son, like Jesus. 
Let me ask you, why do you go through sufferings in life? Why do we go through sufferings in life? If you are an atheist and you don't believe in God, well, suffering seems pretty meaningless, I reckon. But if you do believe in God, that actually, and you believe whatever the passage says just now, why we go through suffering? Actually, because God loves you. Actually, because God is preparing us for glory. Because when we suffer, as, Christ, as Christians, whether by persecution, sickness, or whatever the case may be, we are reminded of who we are. We are reminded that we are children of God, that we can cry to Him, Abba, Father, that God is so lovingly, through our suffering, preparing us to see Him one day, that all the things that happen in this life are preparing us to be more like His Son, to prepare us to see Him. So take heart, your suffering are not meaningless. That sickness report, that news of a loved one dying, the pain of rejection, the pain of being, being backstabbed or whatever the case may be, that all those things are not meaningless. That yes, we live in a fallen world, that's why we suffer, but it's also equally true that God is our Father and He loves us. That's why He allows us to go through a lot of pain and sometimes a lot of suffering. God is working all things, Romans 8.28, for the good of those who love Him. That's why we are suffering. That's why we go through suffering. So before we end this sermon this morning, before I pray and before we stand up and affirm the Nicene Creed together, I would like to, I would like to end this sermon on being indwelt by the Holy Spirit with what I think is the climax of Romans chapter 8, the last two verses. That Paul talks about the work of Christ, Paul talks about the work of the Spirit, and Paul ends with these beautiful words that I pray will propel you forward for the rest of eternity. So if you are a Christian, be encouraged by this word. But if you are not Christian sitting here this morning, these words have not yet applied to you. So I plead and I pray that you will trust in what Jesus has done for you and that these words may be so true and so beautiful to you this morning. And Paul says this, let me end, Romans 8, 38 to 39. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in this creation, look at these words, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. That those who are indwelt by the Spirit, God's love will never, and I mean never, separate you from Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. That is so unfailing. Lord, we confess that our love towards you is oftentimes weak and failing. We thank you for the work of your Spirit in our hearts to make us alive in Christ, that you brought us from darkness to light that you resurrected spiritually, that we are new creation in you. 
And now we can see you, we can know you, and we can have a relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who have not yet known you, I pray and ask for your mercy that you send your spirit to work in their hearts. And Lord, for all of us who are Christian, remind us, Lord, by the witness of your spirit that we are sons and daughters, that we are heirs of you and co-heirs with your son, Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for the work of your spirit as we remember this on Pentecost Sunday. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.